0: That's the second time it's gone on.
2: They never got home. They never got home. They never got home, those, those,
3: boys. And I said, I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you?
2: Yes. Good lad. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. Second captain, first captain, whatever.
0: Oh, we've got a pep in our second captain's step here today in the Irish Times. Al McDevitt, Kieran Murphy, and Ken Hurley here.
2: What was wrong with that intro, Ken? We've got a pep in our second captain's step today. Well, I I mean, he's
0: done worse. He's
2: done worse. I don't know. I think I
0: just—it's—it's—it's—it's it's, it's, it's a, it's a difficult job, you know. Yeah, you're you're always being critiqued, usually by your own uh, <laughs> co-presenters, <laughs> more and harshly
4: by us. After after
0: have. about ten words of the show,
2: why do we have a pep in our second captain? That
0: was you? an unbelievable win yesterday at Lands Road. Ken, a victory for oh, smart yeah. coaching? A victory for committed and adaptable players. Most importantly, a victory for Gaelic football.
2: Oh, yeah. Well, a tribute to the essential superiority of our sporting nation. I mean, nobody else has that Gaelic football advantage. So now that it is the decisive factor in international test rugby, uh, it's, uh, I've got to say, looking pretty good for the World Cup. It's,
4: it's surely only a matter of time before we stop throwing the ball and actually just start fisting the ball to each other. It's, <laughs> it's a much more effective way of transferring the ball. The b- I can the see ball.
0: it now again. The final of the Rugby World Cup is going to be... Ireland against Australia, basically playing international rules. International rules. That's, That's yeah. how it's going to
2: work out there. That's pretty much it. Well, I would have thought Ireland against New Zealand. What about Australia have Aussie, Aussie rules. rules? We'll beat Australia along the way, but then we'll play against New Zealand uh, with their primitive uh, 21st century rugby skills, <laughs> uh, taken apart by our 8th century <laughs> uh, <laughs> high ball fielding. I mean, I, when I look back at the record uh, between these two countries, Ireland and New Zealand, um I think you can truly glimpse the the uh, significance of Gaelic football skills mm. uh, in that uh, in that story, the history of. What Well, you see? It's changed teams. now, though
0: the, the the way kicks are contested, the amount of kicks that are kicked for, to be contested, especially by Ireland, is growing by the week. But you're not even sure that it's accurate to describe, for example, Robbie Henshaw's try as the result of his Gaelic football background.
2: Well, he jumped up and caught the ball uh, by down by his chest. How many times have I seen that in rugby matches? You don't tend to see that in, in Gaelic football. I mean, to catch the, the ball above your head.
4: Yeah, the Shane Horgan try in Croke Park. It was, he, you know, his Gaelic football background was uh, bigged up massively after that. And in fairness, that was an actual Gaelic football try in or catch in that the ball was caught over his head. His hands were over his head, and he caught it, came down, scored the try. Mm. Robbie Henshaw. I mean, he came onto the ball. In a, in a way that I suppose you could... But I mean, how often are...
2: How else are you going to come out to a ball that you're yeah. running towards to catch in mid Yeah, but
0: you're naturally better. Your, your timing... Your timing, you're, you're, you're timing your, your spring, these are things that you're working on from, even subconsciously, as a Gaelic footballer, from the first time you kick a ball. And 10, 20 but years t- ago, 10, 20 years, Brendan Mullins didn't have to worry too much about his spring, I don't think, necessarily. Yeah. But if you're a centre uh, centre half, if you're a centre now, you, you definitely do. And I don't think it does any harm. I, 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 I agree that the Gaelic football I thing just, is going a bit over the top. I think it got, a bit, it got oh. a bit
2: out of hand. I mean, last week, before the game, I saw in several English newspapers, the Telegraph, the Guardian, the Times, all... Mentioned Gaelic football. And Photos then, of
0: Kieran Donaghy catching the ball over one of the Mayo uh, uh, In exactly cars. the way
2: that Robbie Henshaw didn't. And then when Henshaw actually caught a ball to score a try, that automatically meant... Now, I didn't see Robbie Henshaw's interview, because I said something about this during the match, and people were saying, oh, now Robbie Henshaw saying it himself on the BBC. Did they mention Gaelic football in the question?
0: Uh, I didn't see the BBC coverage. I've got to coverage. Record it I'm, gonna, I'm yeah. gonna watch it this evening, Ken. This is just bad timing.
2: No, I haven't seen it. But if there was a if there was a mention of Gaelic football in the question, it automatically invalidates any <laughs> mention of Gaelic football that is then made by Robbie yeah. Henshaw. But it's I, just a
4: yeah, well, what I would say is you can talk about timing and hand-eye coordination and all the rest of that. But if you're if you grow up playing Gaelic football, all of your the the timing that you're talking about is that you. Catch the ball at the at its highest point. So the highest you, point where
2: it's physically possible for him to po- catch it.
4: Exactly. So if you if you you want to get under the ball, but you you, you actually you don't wait for the ball to come to you yeah. at, for it to catch it on your chest. If Robbie Henshaw had gotten three yards further, like further into the end goal, uh, and caught it over over his head, like ten, when the ball is 10 feet from the ground, then you could probably say, yes, that's got a lot to do with his Gaelic football background. But I mean, hey, listen, whatever it takes, we're not going to row about the exact... We uh, are going to row because But the, the it germ was an of
0: unbelievable art. moment. It was such yeah, a great moment. It was so well executed. Uh, I liked what Henshaw said afterwards. I'll bring this up with Dennis Hickey and Jerry Thornley shortly, uh, just about his communications with... How, how pre-planned it was in the sense that it's both pre-planned and off the cuff in that mm. they had talked about it in training during the week. They practiced it, but then you still have to get the communication right, throw the little look, just to make sure that Murray knows that you want that ball, that this is the moment to go for it, and you have the penalty anyway. So, um, I,
4: yeah, I ju- the, the the accuracy with with which the Irish players are playing is it's just crazy. That you you could practice that a million times, but I mean it's like trying to practicing the crossbar challenge uh, before a game. It actually has literally no. Uh, relation to your ability to actually do that in a game if for whatever reason your team decided you absolutely have to hit the crossbar. M- Murray and
0: Sexton are a joke uh, in how they, really are. they are
2: now it's unbelievable
0: but Ken I, I wanted to ask you what books you're reading at the moment <laughs>
2: uh, okay <laughs> I've, oh, um, I've got a couple on the go actually Owned. yep uh, there's one in particular
0: that
4: stop trying to think I, of something that makes you sound intelligent if you're reading no, Katie Price's latest novel I'm trying, Price, to, think novel, of, I'm trying
2: to think of the name of the book it's called The Second Machine Age which is about it's all about how I've been reading it with interest because I think we should be able to replace Kiron with an intelligent um, <laughs> software uh, probably within the next year to 18 months.
0: So it's all about artificial intelligence. Yeah. That kind of thing. And, that brings and me- we're not even setting the bar that high, obviously, when it comes to the artificial
4: no,
2: intelligence. No, I mean, all I'm saying is you would be amazed at the strides that are being made in this area. It's more advanced than I thought it was. But it's also easier to sort of replicate human intelligence than humans like to think. Um, what we think of as, as being the intelligent parts of the human brain are actually not that intelligent at all. The difficult parts are the bits like, um, for instance, uh, playing football. I mean, like the kind of uh, the the kind of um, motor control that you need to just sort of ro- to walk through a room without bashing into things, or to you know if you're playing uh, if you're playing sport you know, the the incredible control over your body uh, and understanding of space and instant execution of, you know, movement without sort of falling over pathetically, that's really difficult for a um, for a robot. Well,
0: do you know they need to get in charge of this project, again? Who? Joe Schmidt. Because this is what Joe Schmidt is doing with the Irish team at the moment. He has made them intelligent robots.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Well, look, he's... It doesn't matter. One, of the, one part of the machine falls out. You, you lose Jamie. He's an important cog in that machine. Yeah. Uh, originally, quite a, a very intelligent robot. Uh, it doesn't matter. Just, Jordy Murphy just comes in, looks exactly like Jamie Heeslip in the way he goes about. It. Sean O'Brien, uh, he gets a, a bit of a ding, as they say. Yeah. Uh, so O'Donnell he's O'Donnell the machine. O'Donnell. To, take out him. your outer. Uh, no, take no, off your outer matter. skin. Yeah. Sean O'Brien might have been one of the most uh, important. You just just slot in uh, one one chunk of Tommy O'Donnell, and you're doing fine there.
2: Yeah, it's it's uh, it's right and I, I mean, you get the sense of. Um, I mean, obviously, everybody. There is nobody in there, kind of saying, "Oh, Schmidt's way is not the way. Um, this is not. Uh, this is not the way we want rugby to be played in this island." I, I don't see anyone doing that. They're all. They all appear to have um, completely dr- drunk the Kool Aid. Makes it sound like they're members of a cult. But there is that sort of cultish uniformity to their uh, to their thinking, which is characteristic of many of the great teams.
0: Well, there have been actually. There has golf. been a line of, of, of thought, and we brought it up on the show last Monday at the Sugar Club, that yeah, it's not the most exciting rugby we've ever seen. But that's largely because you do have to pass the quiet couple of weeks why in between we, games. Why do we Actually, hate success in this country? Yeah. Yeah. Why
2: is it when someone succeeds in this country, are we always trying to tear them down or suggest that they made their money by you know fraudulent means? Or you know suggest that if they're winning rugby matches, it's not the most exciting rugby we've ever seen? I don't understand why we've got a problem with success.
0: Also, it was very exciting on Sundays. A lot more exciting than the France game, I thought. Or a lot more impressive from an Irish point of view. Dennis Hickey and Jerry Thorny are going to be in studio in a little bit. I've got a question for you, Murph. Hit me. While I'm hitting you both with questions. Why are so many intercounty footballers in such narky form at the moment. Every time I stick on a league match, I see Michael Murphy getting sent off. Mm. I was watching the Mayo Monaghan highlights last night. Two red cards, two black cards, loads of yellows. Even Michael Fitzsimons, Dublin's most mannerly defender, <laughs> wouldn't hurt a fly, is barreling into Kerry Lads and getting himself I know, sent I know. I know. It's
4: very strange. Uh, whatever, uh, this weekend was particularly bad on the discipline front. Uh, but there is, a, there, for whatever reason, there appears to be, in the National League, uh, I mean, it's kind of the opposite of many other sporting arenas in that if you play a nondescript you know friendly say right well I'll see you when it really matters whereas in the GA you obviously you only play like four important games a year so you don't want to miss any of those so in the really important games you would say right I'd re- I'm, I'm, my adrenaline's pretty high at the moment this is about the most important game I've ever played I'm going to settle this in six months <laughs> alright when I see you in the Division 1 game in uh, Killarney in eight months time or whatever me and you we're going to have it out so I I think there is a big element of score settling, suspensions in the national league, perhaps not, you know, upsetting someone's year quite as much. Are as players, a suspension
0: in players
2: are July. some players actually annoyed with themselves in for the sense for, that for that not becoming international rugby players, even though they have <laughs> all, yes, all was of the big Yeah, they're looking yeah. at Robbie Henshaw but going guys like guys like Henshaw, guys like Conor Murray mm. are uh, are getting away with it when. All throughout the inter-county uh, football scene there are frustrated rugby players. Yeah, that's the issue now. Well, well superior rugby players, yeah, who, who I mean, simply have been probably overlooked I mean, by we the corrupt, ch- corrupt uh, selection system. The, the Dublin dominated, fee paying school dominated, <laughs> Nexus, which is which is determining the flow into the the upper echelons of the rugby system. You know, I feel you're pain, inter-county uh, <laughs> rugby footballers. We'll
0: talk to Ushin uh, McConville and Anthony Moyles about that in a little while. I have to ask you, Ken, about Liverpool and City. We'll talk in more depth in the football podcast a little bit later on. But what I was quite struck by was well, how impressive Liverpool were, obviously. But the tenacity. If you remember last season at one stage, we noticed the changing character in the Chelsea team since Mourinho returned uh, through Oscar, who hasn't necessarily gone on to to do amazing things for Chelsea. But uh, there was one game in particular, I can't remember what it was, where Oscar certainly biting into tackles and, and looking like a like like looking like John Terry out there. Yeah, uh, This is now happening with Liverpool. Uh, you see Coutinho snapping into these tackles. Even Raheem Sterling. Yeah. They seem to be working and these this team were supposed to be tired given that they had less uh, less of a rest than Man City had had.
2: Yeah, um, well, I suppose the two goal scorers were were given the night off for the Europa League but there, there were guys like um, Sterling in particular, Lallana, um Joe Allen who had been playing in, in Turkey and he played uh, brilliantly. Um, I do have to say that Manchester City were extremely disappointing. The, you know, this is supposed. To, this is the team which is supposed to be fighting for fighting for the title, fighting for the title that they've already, in fairness, probably lost. And and they, oh, how they believe it! Oh, how they believe that title's gone! But you know,
4: the, the, there's no greater level of belief in English football at the moment than Much Manchester bigger. City's conviction <laughs> <Yeah>. that <laughs> they, they will them. not win the Premier League
2: title <laughs> this year. But also, you know, in the absence of <laughs> of the of the title being a possibility. They are still playing for their pride as champions, except they're not. It's kind of like ah, oh, this, this one's this season's all busted up. It's all done, busted up. But you know, not not to worry. There'll be another one along in, in a few months. And I did get that sense of City, particularly in the second half, that this wasn't a team that that really wanted to show Liverpool who was boss. Uh, and in the in the event, they ended up. Um, you know, but again, you know, I'm not suggesting in any sense that Liverpool didn't deserve to win. They clearly did. I mean, they played much better football throughout the game with a team of much smaller players uh, than City. You know, City have a guy like Mangala in the team. I was looking at him, you know, all throughout the team, actually, all throughout the spines, you had, you know, Company up against Sterling. You had Mangala up against Coutinho. You had Yaya Toure up against Joe Allen. You had these looming uh, City players. You know, uh, there was Kolarov against Adam Lalana, um Having rings danced around them by sort of smaller. In fact, Owen, I I then watched a lot of the Ireland England match. Yeah, and I thought to myself, isn't football lucky? Isn't football lucky that its rules remain compatible with twenty first century standards of athletic conditioning? Uh, you know, you can have if you know if rugby if football was to allow contact uh, in the in the matter of rugby. You would not have a Coutinho or a Raheem Sterling getting the better of a Eliakim Mangala. You know, this is a guy who could physically break Philippe Coutinho in two, very quickly, you know, with three, four seconds. But he's not allowed to do that. So uh, what you have is a situation where a little bit of dancing, movement and invention is still part of the mix.
0: But I was about to throw George Ford's name at you and then the image in my head that that is now seared in my memories of Johnny Sexton his opposite number 10 picking him up and dumping him on the ground as if to say yeah a couple of years not
2: in my I mean, imagine imagine company had been able to pick up Raheem Sterling and just <laughs> <laughs> dump him onto the ground in the first few minutes of the game i think we would have seen a different match unfold i think we would have seen a very different narrative at anfield
4: Ken is uh, he's uh, very uh, big this morning on Combining all of the the three major team field sports into one. (laughs) Gaelic football is to rugby is to football. Just one massive, heaving mass of sportsmen, and let's see what happens. Throw them all in there. The Liverpool, Man City, Kerry, Dublin, Ireland, and England teams. It's a
2: sports brew.
4: (laughs) Just throw uh, them all in.
0: Denisicki and Jerry Thorny have popped in. Lads, how are you? Good morning. Good. Thank you. And Simon's popped over to us as well. How Simon, First of all, just the, we might start at the end and how the players and management reacted to what was an amazing win uh, when, when you put it in any sort of context. Were the players overjoyed and ecstatic after the game?
5: Yeah, Joe, you were there as well. It's very hard to get anything out of these players at the moment. I mean, they're obviously media trade more than they've ever been, but under Schmidt, they're getting tougher and tougher to get any sort of newsline out of. Schmidt was... Excited, and he, you know, his personality was coming out in the press conference afterwards. But the more interesting one was possibly Lancaster, who was just frustrated. Like he was asked at one stage, "Did it, did Ireland do anything that would surprise you?" You know, and he said uh, he just threw gritted teeth he was like, "No, no, they didn't do anything that surprised me," and yet we weren't able to do anything about it. He just couldn't believe that he knew what was coming all week. It wasn't that complicated that w- what was coming at him, and they just could do nothing about it. Is that the sense you got, Jerry? That England. Did know what was coming?
1: Yeah, because when they were lamenting how the game got away from them, and you know, Ireland had become very, very efficient at building up this three-six-nine kind of lead. I think that's the third game in a row they've led nine-three, and so they get, they get into the head in the scoreboard by playing the percentages, by being incredibly accurate. Um, I don't think they made a mistake in the first twenty minutes. England didn't do an awful lot wrong. That's the thing, and all they could lament about afterwards was their discipline. You know, giving away penalties. And the penalty count did go against them and it might even have been higher because everybody in the ground seemed to think they were living offside and they only got pinged for three times the match and it could have been ten times more. But And they were a bit loose and free at the breakdown perhaps as well and Hubert is very specific in how he referees the breakdown. He's very harsh on players coming off their feet. But apart from discipline, you're right, he couldn't say anything. There was nothing else he could say that they did wrong.
5: But he's the third coach, opposition coach in a row against Ireland to say our discipline wasn't good enough. So Ireland yeah. are clearly drawing those. Well, we're
0: It seems like we're very good at making teams look bad when they're playing against us, isn't it? And well, I thought. Well, I, on the discipline front, I thought
3: uh, what was critical for England is was the timing of, of when they were disciplined. You know, they they were trying to build momentum in the first 10 10-15 minutes, and they gave away a lot of penalties in that time. And when you are playing away from home, uh, you really have to stay in touch. You have to. Let the pressure build a little bit on the home side by staying in the game and not letting them pull away from you. And um, they weren't able to do that. They just gave away some really silly penalties in the first ten minutes.
1: Billy Dunapolo
3: yeah. coming in from the side, coming it's in from the so side. Lazy. Yeah, they just did two or three of them. And, and once while they were putting pressure on Ireland and Ireland were able to clear the lines, and then others just where Ireland could could uh, start getting the, s- the scoreboard taking over. And, and what Jerry said is correct there. When Ireland Ireland and now so. Discipline is so good that if you if they get nine points, if there's a nine point gap between the two t- two sides, it becomes very very difficult because it's very hard now to reel Ireland in if they get more than a more than a score ahead. If it's six three and you know you can you can kick yourself in, but all of a sudden, you know six three once it moves to once it moves to twelve three, once there's a nine point gap, you're looking at the opposite side and thinking you know, what what how are they going to be able to score? How are they going to, be able to reel Ireland in? Because typically if it's got to that stage, Ireland have been dominating for long long periods of the game and you could sense that yesterday.
0: Yeah, we have to
1: see what happens when it goes the other way and how yeah. we they catch up Rugby, but <laughs> we which will happen
0: at some stage, but uh, I suppose we might as well do it the easy way while yeah. we can.
1: Yeah, I mean, like I think it was the same in November as well. I mean, Ireland shot into early leads there and a very big lead against Australia. We're real back in, but stayed in front pretty much all the way. So the. We know that they're a team that leads from the front, is a very good front running team. Whether or not they can play catch up or not, we don't know. As long as they keep building up this 3 6 nine kind of 3 lead, you know, it's not a problem. But um, And it may, be, it may be a harder thing to do away from home against Wales and Cardiff. We'll see.
0: The I mean, the, what Simon says there about the fact that uh, we seem to be, it, uh, opposition coaches know it's coming sometimes anyway, it certainly seems Lancaster knew it was coming, can't do anything about that. Is that, should we be praising Ireland more for that, that we've gotten to a point like any team in any sport wants to get to where they have a game plan, they know how to execute it and they'll actually relentlessly go after uh, they'll relentlessly use their their own advantages against the, the opposition to the point that it doesn't matter if the opposition know it's coming; they're not going to be able to
1: stop it. Yeah, and then then maybe the opposition gets a little bit spooked by it as well because they know it's coming; they know they can see the scoreboard ticking. A machine-like a performance, ma- you com- called it. Yeah, yeah. They, they are a machine. With si- with Simon, I'm talking to Simon after the game, actually, and we, we were discussing it. And they are they become Leinster were a blue machine, and now Ireland are a green machine. And the common denominator is this fellow Joe Schmidt. He's remarkable. I, you'd wonder what he could do with a, a rabble like France. You know what I mean <laughs> that kind of talent? Um, and when you think about the machine-like analogy is apt. When you think of there was no Jamie Heaslip from the start, there was no Sean O'Brien after twenty-five minutes, and the team ultimately finished up with like Jordy Murphy, Tommy O'Donnell, Ian Madigan, and Robbie Henshaw in four of the key five middle tier positions. I mean, that would have been un- and winning their tenth game in a row. I mean, that would have been unthinkable a year or two ago.
5: Yeah, I don't know about you, Jerry, but for an Ireland-England game in the final ten minutes, the crowd they were almost like the team. Yes, we've got this under control. This is fine. Let's move on to the next game. We're destroying England with, you know, Sexton off the pitch, O'Brien off the pitch. He hasn't started. It's just a phenomenal situation where you're watching it and thinking, we're in control here, minus a lot of our best ever players. And the crowd are also along with this, that, yeah, this is fine. Um, let's move on. Mm. That, 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 that The whole thing was muted in a strange way, even yes. though it was England.
1: Yeah, it was. It uh, wasn't quite like the drama of the French game. It was much noisier towards the end of the French game. And this is a better match, but... It's the eighth win in a row, the Aviva, and the, the crowd are becoming very accustomed to mm. winning. Both the team and its supporters can become very accustomed to a winning team. Winning is a habit, just like losing is. I mean, we were talking off air about the French and how utterly lacking in confidence they are, particularly in Paris. It's the utter flip side with Ireland. Mm. You know, at, at, how at home they've become in the Aviva. More so than ever before, actually, since the ground has been redeveloped.
3: I think, the, um, like the, a lot, the, I think there may be a sense that Ireland play a very simple game and, um, you know, Lancaster uh, and, and opposing coaches being asked so we know what Ireland are going to do. Yeah. But I, I actually think the way Ireland play is, is you know, I think there's a lot more detail um, to w- maybe laid on top of a simple, you know, some uh, what seems like a simple game plan. I, I think what Ireland do is quite complex. You know, they're, they're, the complexity of their power plays off third, fourth, fifth phase, that they can drop in between backs and forwards. Not a lot of teams can do that. Um, you, know, they, you know, they set up a rolling ball from a fourth phase, uh, you know, to, to push for one of the penalties. And of the pitch. Yeah, and that's, you know, that's not a... That wasn't just one guy said, I'm going to set up a rolling ball. That's that's a play that they, you know, because everyone was in position. You know, Paul O'Connor called the ball turn immediately. There was a pot on it. So, you know, that, that's a, They're all kind of pre-planned um, moves. And to be able to do that when you get past second or third phase in, and involving back and forwards is very complex. And I don't think other teams can do that at the moment. And so, so when people say, well, we know what's coming with Ireland... I think that, that sort of intimates that you know they play really simple and um, it's a sort of simplicity, if anything, you could say that the All Blacks have. You know, They have a really simple game plan, but actually they, they, they do lots of complex things really clinically and it just seems, well, he just passed that guy, that guy's just run through that hole, but everyone's in the right position, everyone knows who they need to be, and, and I think there's just a lot more to the game than you see, but it's just done with such precision and such accuracy um, that teams are teams are really struggling. If you look, com- compare the accuracy and the skill level of our final at the moment, for example, to something like France, you know, France can't put two passes together. They're, the passes are sticking on the inside, mm-hmm. the balls are going on the ground. It's something against Wales at the weekend. And just the level of skill in the French team has just declined so so dramatically that you have really top-level senior players who just can't put three or four passes together. The
0: Irish players are so switched on as well at, at every moment. It's something that struck me In the Trapattoni days with Ireland, the one big criticism that a lot of people had was there was no sharpness or brightness to what we did, and that came, came from the management down. There'd be a chance for a quick throw or a quick free kick, and it was never taken. It was all very by the numbers. Whereas with Schmidt, you see it in the Henshaw try yesterday. Robbie Henshaw said after the game... Well, myself and Connor had talked about that before. We, we tried it a few times during the week. We'd had a chat, and if there was a penalty, we, we, we were going to look at that. And I was trying to catch his, Henshaw said, I was trying to catch his eye without letting the English defence know all about it. And they managed to do that. Then, man, the, the two that were on the same wavelength. They both managed to execute absolutely perfectly what is a, quite a difficult skill.
1: Yeah, I mean, the, these plays they have in advance, they're clearly worked out in the training. I'd like to try against South Africa. The Murray kick for Zeebo's try, that one yesterday for Henshaw's try. Um, And what Dennis was talking about there, the way they all seamlessly fit in. And it is more complicated than we give it credit for. You think of that move. I think they only made two line breaks in the match. One was from Conor Murray and the other was from Henshaw in the first half. Remember that brilliant move they did in the first half where they fake them all. And Murray goes in field. And then it looks like it's going to be a Sexton wraparound. But they're faking that too. And Henshaw goes through the gap in the middle. And it happened such a blur. Most of us didn't even see it. Can we please see that again? Yeah, it you it could, again.
5: The naked eye in the stadium was hard to follow who was patching the ball. It, yeah, it was, was that good. was that good.
1: And it turned out to be Tommy O'Donnell who gave the last pass Soft yeah. hands, Barely on the pitch. Wouldn't have run that move very often, even in training. That's what Schmidt was saying afterwards. Yeah, yeah it just, that Tommy didn't actually know that move that well. <laughs>
5: <laughs> we a little bit surprised that it went through It was the him. move of the match. And he nailed <laughs> it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tommy O'Donnell actually is probably the best illustration of players being switched on from the second he came on Mm. he was adding and he was taking ball on and he added something. Every time he carried the ball he added every time he made a tackle every time he hit a rook.
0: But it seems it doesn't well Sexton aside and and one or two other players it seems like Ireland are able to absorb uh, Sean O'Brien much trumpeted return has to go off Tommy uh, O'Donnell comes in um, Jamie Heaslip doesn't get to start the game he's been one of our best forwards for the last 10-15 years maybe ever uh, Jordy Jordy Murphy slots in is this down to the individual talent is it down to the way the coach sets them up well I think if you look at Ireland selections
3: this year anyway I don't think probably if josh was being honest he, I don't think he's had a chance to pick is probably his most his his number one side now. What is constitute his number one side now is probably different than it was at the start of the year. And you never but really the, do in rugby. Probably you yeah, really probably really don't, and you're not going to doing, anymore. Um, I just think it's. You know, I think the exception to that might be the World Cup when you have you know six or seven weeks of training and everyone's fit and everyone's ready to go. Uh, but during the season, you just don't have that. So the squad system and and working really hard and making sure everyone across the squad really knows what they need to do is is is. Um, you know, that's a, that's a sign of a really good coach who can focus on, OK, well, I'm I'm, I'm not just going to use the same 20 players. I'm going to have, you know, guys can drop in and everyone's going to be able to, to to step in. We're not going to lose anything uh, from our tactics or execution by changing players. And I think Jordy Murphy was one of the best players yesterday. Like, I, I have to say, I thought the loss of Jamie Heavis was a little bit underplayed, maybe because it got ruled out so early. Everyone was, you know, knew he wouldn't be playing pretty much two days after for, for the France game and um, I just kind of thought going into the game with England uh, you know on Vodipola and the back row I thought you know that that could be an area where Ireland might you know suffer and then Sean O'Brien going off straight away then as well so you're kind of looking at a a back row that hasn't a huge amount of experience is not the first choice back row in inverted commas Um, but I thought Jordy Murphy in particular had a fantastic game he was just rock solid he was really competitive at the breakdown forced a couple of penalties didn't really make any mistakes and you can really see why he's a player that Joe Schmidt, I, I think, considers as a bit of a go-to player. He's a guy who's always going to be either in or around the 22 because he can cover a number of different positions. Comes in, slots in perfectly, you know, and has showed showed yesterday in the in the, in the the tightest of matches, the most pressurized game, that he can kind of fit seamlessly in and play to a top-level, you know, world-class kind of sort
0: of performance. Sexton is maybe the one that, uh, and Connor Murray also, but Sexton in particular, as we saw when he went. To, how much of the English resurgence would you put down, Simon, to... Sexton going off and Madigan coming on
5: Yeah there was a few mistakes from Madigan his his kicking game just isn't at the same level and you saw it as well you maybe take Sexton for granted until you then compare him to other out halves and it's the same with Ford um, who looked really good up until this game and then Sexton I thought outplayed him completely um, but the same when Madigan came on I don't know if you felt this Dennis that you just it's not just um, the, the length of Sexton's kick it's the trajectory it's the angle it's the The time that he chooses to kick, it's the the difference is incredible. It's the one position I think that we can't afford to.
3: I think a lot of people were 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 talking about that immediately after the game and and reading this morning as well. You know, the Ireland lost a bit of their shape when Sexton went off. But to be fair, I think to Madigan uh, when he came on, there was a slew of changes Ireland had to make around the same time. Like Jared Payne went off very quickly. Um, Ian Henderson had just come on the pitch as well. Uh, This the game was actually quite disjointed when he came on. Like there had been. A kind of juggernaut approach. A juggernaut looked to Ireland's game up to that point. And then all of a sudden, guys were getting injured, and Ireland started. I, I thought started looking really tired as well. With with them, kind of ten fifteen minutes to go, um, and I know the gap. They they'd done enough. The gap. England weren't going to be in a position to, to 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 reel them in. But I just think to be fair to Madigan, the game was a lot more loose, and he was just throwing that. He he happened to come on at that time where Ireland were beginning to flag. Uh, so, uh, and given the fact there was other substitutions as well, I think probably a little bit harsh to him to say, you know, Sexton went off, Madigan came on, and everything, you know, kind of, you know, we can't do
1: without him. You know, Jerry, England were, were too good a side not to have a purple patch in the game at some point in time. I'm convinced if Johnny Sexton stayed on the pitch; yeah. the end game would not have been that different. I agree that England would have come hard at them, and uh, I, just unfortunate for Madigan that he's being compared with the best out half not only in Ireland or Europe but perhaps the world at the moment who was having a storming match and he just was slightly awry in two kicks overcooked and up and under and but, that, but that's the cr- level cr- we're cr- talking
0: about if Madigan is going to be an, an Irish international out half that, yeah. that's, you just got to grin and bear that don't yeah. you I mean Sexton was being compared to O'Gara and it wasn't a problem to him
1: yeah and, but it's difficult because he's not going to get a whole lot of game time at 10 for province or country and Simon's right. The biggest weakness in his game is his, is his kicking out of hand. It's something he's going to have to improve if he's going to be the backup to Johnny Sexton as a, as a quality number 10. It's the one area of his game that needs to improve. His tackling's good. We know his running game's strong. His passing is strong. He's got a, his place kicking is phenomenal. He's mentally a very strong player. He's a lot of talent. But, and, he's, and he's a valuable member of the squad. And he, we shouldn't forget that he has closed out games for Ireland before. I mean, I was there in Argentina. That second test was looking decidedly dodgy. And when Johnny Sexton went off, we all thought, uh-oh, this could be embarrassing. And Madigan came on and just ran the game and scored a try and closed it out. And he was there in the end game in Paris last year as well. So I think that, you know, we've got to keep a bit of perspective about it and not blame him for everything. Um, that I think England would have come back to that game anyway. Simon, I know you, you spotted something that Joe Schmidt said about Simon Zebo
0: after the game, uh, which maybe indicates the, the the mindset that he's managed to infuse the back three with.
5: Yeah, he was asked, about it. Zebo had an amazing game. A lot of possession came his way. I think the English may analysed the Irish back three and thought, well, if there is a weakness there, possibly it's Zebo. So all the restarts kept going high and into the corner and basically Zebo could be the only catcher. He kept taking it back in field, uh, gaining ground. He took a few brilliant up and unders on his wing as well. Literally everything he did in the first half was really, it was 10 out of 10. He, not as much ball came his way in the second half, but you couldn't fault him for anything he did. But you know, he was asked about Zeebo. Schmidt um, was asked about Zeebo afterwards and he said, you know, he's this free spirited guy. He loves rugby and we love that about him. And we try and harness that as much as we can. But I think a lot of the journalists were thinking in their heads, uh, he's got this free spirit and I've crushed it out of him and turned him into Andrew Trimble. <laughs> it did really feel like it was an Andrew Trimble type performance. And Andrew Trimble wasn't necessarily like Andrew Trimble before last season, you know? So it seems like, again, like the Jordy Murphy thing who played very like he's lip. I thought very consistent, um, never um, strayed from the uh, from the strategy that was laid out before him. Um, and the same thing with Zeebo. He just did exactly what uh, Schmidt would have liked Is this the right to thing to
0: do, though, with a, with a player of Zeebo's talent? It seems to be working for him. It seems like he's he's obviously going to have to fall in line with what Schmidt is doing. But do you agree with that analysis that Schmidt has? Uh, he, maybe Zeebo is a good example of what Schmidt is doing with the Ireland team? Well, I think... <laughs> I think what Schmidt would say to players, and I've never played under him, so I'm, I'm
3: very much speculating. I think he would just, he, it would appear that he would say to a player at any given position, he'd say, you know, the, here's, here's what I expect of, of the person, whoever that is, who plays in this position, here's the role. I expect you to, you know, do the following things. If you do anything else above that, fantastic. Mm. But as a minimum, you have to do this. And that doesn't matter if it's Simon Zebo or Tommy Bow or whoever is playing that position. If you don't do that, and you're doing all these other things, I'm afraid I'm gonna be judging you on the things you're not doing that I've asked you to do. Um and I think players respond to that because it's very clear. They know, you know, in various positions, uh, in in different scenarios, uh, in attack and defense, whatever that is, players are really clear. Here's 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 my role. It's the role of the winger, it's not the, it's not about Simon Zebo, it's not about Tommy Bo. Here's what the winger in in Ireland has to do when he plays on this side. And once I do that and then I can do other things, fantastic. But if I if I do those other things that I think are important, but the coach doesn't
1: think is, are as important as the things he's asked me to do, well then, you know, I have to take the consequences. Dennis, we were at a, an open session in um, Belfast last season and Joe Schmidt was taking the Irish team and was a big crowd of young kids there, must be midterm, that's why they had it there. And at one point he stopped the drill and balled Dave Carney out of it mm. because he was just standing like the passenger at the side of a ruck. He wasn't either hitting the ruck or back out in his wing mm. and he read the right act of and somebody came over. Mullingar used to coach back in the 80s or 90s mm. and whispered to me, we still live in fear of him and Mullingar for that. You know what I mean? Mm. And this, he expects his winners to be as competitive at the breakdown as his mm. back row forwards. He loves a, an honest, hard work ethic. You're talking about Jordy Murphy, mm. Tommy O'Donnell, these kind of players, Dave Kearney, Andrew Trimble last season. And Simon Zeebo's work ethic and contribution physically, particularly at the breakdown at wide, was not to anything to Schmidt's liking. That's why he wasn't in. He's made, he's almost made Zebo into a different player, and Ireland not getting more out right of Zebo. But it's kind of like the ultimate barometer of what Joe Schmidt has done to Irish Rugby that Simon Zebo's main contributions in three games thus far have been defensive. Mm, yeah. He does not have any really attacking force. Yeah, yeah. And don't you
5: get the feeling that if Dave Carney was to come back in, or Trimble, or whoever it might be, or, say, Rhys Ruddock or Dominic Ryan mm. in the back row, that we just wouldn't suffer that much. We're, we're absorbing injuries and losses better than we've ever done in our history, I think.
1: And Zeebo's probably playing as well as he is because he knows that Luke Fitzgerald is banging on the door as yeah. well. You it's know, Wales and Cardiff in two weeks,
0: Dennis. Will our style of play suit Wales a little bit better? Will they be better prepared than England?
3: I think they probably will be a little bit more streetwise. They certainly consider themselves probably a little bit more streetwise. Um... So you know, I think they were caught maybe a little bit on the hop by 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 England. Uh, probably focused a lot on their own game, um, probably too much in their own game. What they were going to do, and I think they'll probably focus, spend a lot more time focusing on what Ireland are going to do than they would have, let's say, against England. Um, and uh, uh, so I think they will be better prepared. I think they're they're maybe they're, they're set up to be a little bit um, to to be offer a little bit more. Um, than then that England side did yesterday. On, though on the face of it, you know, I was just—I was overall—I was disappointed with England's lack of attacking prowess. The way you know a lot of these younger guys who have, especially in the backs, have kind of stuck their hand up so far in the championship, kind of went missing yesterday. Joseph you kind know, of was anonymous for most of the game. Some of the
1: wings didn't do a huge amount either. But did you think so,
0: that? Because I, I thought you think you in I general, what, Jerry, were yeah.
1: re- reasonably impressed with what the England backs brought. Well, I thought. I didn't know. I agree with him, about jo- Joseph I didn't see him in the match. They completely closed to like no the possession
5: No, as you say, one put in to England at a scrum.
1: Yeah, one put in in the entire match. Well, that, I mean, it's phenomenal. But if you look at a guy like Watson, like Watson made a few runs
3: in the open Yeah, it's the his, half, his but footwork he did, was superb. He did nothing in the first half. Right, he did nothing. Like he just started. He gave away a penalty because he took the ball ahead of an, on a, on a knock-on that he was responsible for that penalty. But he just kind of stuck on his wing. Uh, I, th- I thought he was quite poor uh, in terms of actually his overall work rate. And a big game like that, you know, I just think he... I was watching for a while, he was just kind of a... look a bit of a... Yeah, it's the
5: Irish wingers forced their way into a game. Yeah, and he they, was
3: good yeah. in... You know, to be fair, he was good in the... Especially opening 20 minutes of the second half. He got a few runs. He got into the it's game. Probably
1: footwork,
5: isn't
3: he? Yeah, it? and he does, and he's very fast. But, you know, you need more uh, contribution mm-hmm. than that. But, but back to Wales, I think Wales will... I think Wales will... Um, Will be better prepared against if against Ireland. I think they'll fancy their chances of being able to to not give away as many penalties, to not let Ireland get into the lead, to put Ireland under more pressure. Maybe they'll look at like you know the pressure that that France put on on Ireland at the breakdown. I'm I'm really surprised England were able to replicate that because if you're looking at Ireland against France, you would have said you know look at all the penalties Ireland had to give away at the at the at the breakdown. And England, you know, they just there were no forces to break down for on, on on Ireland's ball, so I'd say they'll target that, and that they'll um, they'll look to not let Ireland get
0: into that lead and be really focused on their discipline. Points difference wise, Wales are going to they're going to need to win to stay in the championship, yep. obviously, but they're also going to have to win quite heavily. Jerry, Jerry you've got the, the different points differential well, in front plus, of you there. Yeah.
1: Ireland are um, plus forty, England plus twenty five, and Wales plus five. But of course, if Wales beat Ireland and England presumably beats Scotland at home, then all three teams go into the final weekend level and will almost certainly come down to points. But difference, Wales yeah. in that case the Wales have to be thinking,
0: well, we have to go and beat Ireland. I know this is not an ideal way to approach a match, but we're actually going to have to put some points on them as well to get back the Even votes. if they
1: only won by five points, that's still a ten-point differential. So the 35-point gap becomes a 25-point gap, and they're going to Rome on the final day. So I think if they even, if they even win by a score, they'll still think they're in the, They're in with a chance here because they go to Rome on the final day, and you can run up a big score in Rome on the final day. It's possible. The weather's going to be a awful lot nicer. Dennis, you remember... You ran up a big score in Rome, nearly won a championship there. I'm yeah. sure they'll be thinking the same thing, even if they're only going to that final weekend 25 points behind. Mm. Do,
5: do you think, Dennis, the Welsh back three, potentially will be the best at dealing with high ball coming at them?
3: Yeah, they're pretty good. I think Liam Williams is very good at that. Um, I think he's you know, a guy who works really hard when he has the ball and really hard when he doesn't have the ball. And he's very combative in the air, chases every kick played a lot of full back um, so yeah I think you know. He's and North, a, North, is excellent North whenever. wouldn't be brilliant though, no he? but he was good at the weekend I thought he yeah. was good yeah. He was good at that part of his game against France You know, he did follow high balls and he looked to get interested in more and I think he'll be under a lot of pressure to really perform they've demanded that of him yeah. they've been
1: really going quite public on his lack of work rate, yeah so yeah. I can
3: expect I expect him to kind of carry on the, the, the increased work ethic he showed against France against Ireland and to really perform in a big match, you know, a big player to perform in a big match, and then you know, Happany as well is very, very strong. Obviously, you know, high bodies world class. So I think they're probably in terms of the back three, um, uh, and as a unit, they're probably as as, as close to Ireland as um, as as any other side, more so than than most. You know, you know, England. Good individual players, but I don't think they've a very good unit as a back three, uh, you know, at the moment. A lot of young guys, and and uh, they had a lot of changes there as well, especially with Brown out. But Wales, you know, they're pretty settled, um, and they've experienced players there, so I expect them to be very good in that area. And, and you know, there'll be a fair bit of kicking in the game, but
0: um, so be know, it. So be it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're into March and still in the hunt for a Grand Slam, so it's all good. Dennis, Jerry, thanks a million. Cheers, thank you.
4: In the final, and on in the game, and the okay.
5: Oh, what about
4: that? Send him off. Send him. To- How
5: was it your
3: side up yours. He's the best in the world Never mind anybody
5: else.
0: Jerry mentioned that we were talking about France affair the point I was making to him was just how hilarious the fans are and the start to France uh, they, they first of all they love booing and whistling their own team uh, you're just waiting for the moment when it's inevitably going to happen unless they're winning by 10 points but they got so fed up on Saturday with their team. That they, they lost such energy they couldn't even bring themselves to boo Lee Halfpenny's kicks. He was lining one up and the wh- wh- you know whistling here in the south of France that started up and then just died away. And Halfpenny, you're looking at it going, That's to- Halfpenny's going to kick this kick regardless, so it's completely irrelevant. But Simon, I wanted to ask you just before we leave the rugby about Robbie Henshaw because I just think the excitement around this guy and he finally got a bit of. Uh, an extra string to his bow with that try, but he's been superb over the last few games and it's quite exciting because we're still learning about this guy and I'm sure Connacht fans who see every single game might say, look, we know all about him, but internationally, we're we're just starting to see what he's made of.
5: Yeah, because there's been loads of little moments with Henshaw, uh, tackles or half breaks or counter-ruck or whatever he might have done that you think this guy's huge potential and he's obviously um, doing what's asked of him, but it's a little like the chat we had about John O'Shea scoring the goal against Germany where somebody needs that one poster moment that sticks in your head in a big game and then from that point on you've got all the little things and he doesn't need to do a whole lot of big things from that on but you that's what you associate them with um, and also I think his reaction, I don't know if this was caught on TV, I was in the stadium so might necessarily have seen it but he had that really sort of half innocent, half pure joy look on <laughs> his face from the second he put it down, it wasn't as if will we see if the video ref um, allows this or not it just was a young guy who's just scored against England at home, uh, just Coursing through his body, there wasn't any sort of veneer to him.
0: Yeah, we talked about the catch earlier on, the 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 leap, the Gaelic football, all that kind mm-hmm. of thing. But it was his ability to make, maintain control of the ball and ground it on the way down that was probably the most impressive part of that. It was an unbelievable try.
4: Yeah, yes, and he's made forty-four tackles, which is fifteen more than any other player on the Irish team in the
0: six, in the first three games. It was top top of the charts again for again, the Irish team. Like, yes, Simon, cheers for that. Now it's time for a little sprinkling of this. That's
4: right, you're a real Irishman. You get the potato yeah. I left in your dressing room there. I got
0: the
6: potatoes yeah. and
5: the puchín huh? And the puchín Oh yeah, there you are. <laughs>
6: Bread, yeah, in uh, County Meath, a place called Navan.
4: Yes, it's uh, P-Bezzo time again, Owen And after last Monday's uh, brief flirtation with Ireland-bound Ireland, island listeners We're opening it up to the Irish diaspora again Plenty of correspondence from the Cricket World Cup again Oh, great uh, This week Well done, Richard Donovan But this week's P-Bezzo winner that I want to focus on is Dan Crowell Richard may well ask What have I done to disappoint you, oh great one? Well, uh, Richard, that's a very good question Uh, But Dan's email just had a certain something And that certain something was a Buddhist monk in shades Holding a Pevella sign But, and the rest But uh, I'll let Dan explain Hi lads, love listening to the show It's great to keep in touch with what's going on at home And hear a bit of Irish crack for emigrants Indeed, been an emigrant now for about five years And was living in London for the past year and a half But had to leave as to paraphrase Barney Roney in The Guardian The old saying that there's an arsehole in every village Can't be true anymore Because they've all moved to London (laughs) So I quit engineering in the Big Smoke to travel for a while And then moved to China Which, in fairness, does arguably have bigger smoke. However, as soon as I got into Yangon, Myanmar, I decided to scrap the China idea and head back here for my travels to work, as everybody's very nice and it's a bit more chilled out. So that's where I am now. And while making my way around the thousands of pagodas in Big I bumped into this particularly slick-looking Buddhist monk at Shwezigon Paya. After a couple of failed attempts at explaining who Pierce Brosnan was, (gasps) Say it ain't so. You take that back, Buddhist monk. Mm -hmm. Uh, and why he's shouting at people He agreed to join My p and what I hope will be Your first Pierce Brosnan monk Shout out Pimso. No It doesn't work Anyway He's no parish priest But I know he'll be devastated If he doesn't get a mention Thanks very much Dan So thank you very much Dan uh, I feel more mindful already Just having
2: seen Do we have the picture of, of the monk?
4: Yeah we'll put it up On the Ariston's page Excellent Ju- So he's yeah, What he's, kind of shades is he wearing? wraparound ones oh yeah yeah wrap around.
0: yeah the, the ones all the monks are wearing
4: yeah uh, holding. Him, he does actually look pretty slick as well kind of even apart from the, the sunglasses but I think we all feel a bit more mindful just yeah. having seen the monk to be honest uh, if you want to take a take a photograph with a monk of any religious persuasion holding a you as a sign then why not send it on to us at uh, second Captains at irishtimes.com Pierce out
0: how is Pierce with the slot these days? Oh, he's, he's, he's fine. Still, he's still okay with it.
4: He's fine. I mean, you know, it, some would say, on ignorance is bliss. <laughs> I think that's what Pierce would want me to say.
0: Anthony Moyles and Usher McConville are ready to go. How are you, lads? All in his form. Oh, All good, on. Great to hear it. Before we crack into the football. You're able to back something up for us, O'Shane. We were uh, we just heard a story from Jerry Thornley about an, an open training session held by yeah. Joe Schmidt in I think it was Belfast, That's right, in, in which he. Uh, well, I think we saw the ruthless side of Joe, Joe Schmidt, but you were at that session
7: too. I was at that session, and uh, Dave Kearney made a mistake, and uh, Joe Schmidt came over and had it best could be described as just a quiet war with him. And you would think, well, he's probably doing that because there's a lot of people around. But Dave Kearney made the exact same mistake again. Uh, He didn't make the run, I suppose, and Joe Smith absolutely torn to shreds. (laughs) And those school kids and all that, was going, oh, steady on. But uh, just like the professionalism of the session is an obvious thing to look at, but his involvement in the session is unbelievable. In In just every way. He just wanted to be involved in everything. I mean, uh, you know, Murray, you know, scrum half, getting, uh, getting to a ruck and getting the ball out, and Smith standing beside him, telling him where to put it, and, you know, it's. It's crazy how meticulous he was and how involved he was in the session. We're
0: going to win the Grand Slam, Anthony?
6: Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's, that's <laughs> and the <laughs> World <laughs> Cup. Well, that's a given, <laughs> yeah,
7: The Grand Slam's yeah, a given it now. It's the World bag. Cup we're worried yeah, yeah. about. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I thought that was everyone
6: that.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh Let's talk football. And I want to ask you, right, there were a lot of ridiculous yellow and red cards. I mean ridiculous as in deserved, but ridiculously um, conceded. Red cards by players getting sent off for stupid things. Why is it the players act like idiots in the league and do things that they wouldn't dream of doing in the championship?
6: I, I actually don't. I don't know what happened yesterday uh, and over the weekend. <laughs> with you? But it's just like everyone decided to go leave their brains at the door. Yeah, like there was some. You know, you can you can look at it. This quite often happens actually after the break. It's it's weird, you know, because the first kind of couple of league games. T- you know, you're, you're trying a few different things, lads are getting fit, but then it really ramps up now, you know. So, like, I mean, you have to be involved if you're a player because the summer comes pretty quick now, you know, and then the break is over <coughs> and then you're into it. So, but then I think managers must decide, right, we're going to lay down a few markers because that's what it looked like yesterday. Dublin Kerry game was laying down a few markers, the Mon- Monaghan Mayo game was definitely I, I, like, I mean, Monaghan just went crazy, you know, like, I mean, and there's laying down markers of you know, making sure that you're not going to get bullied, you know, and I think when you actually analyse the Kerry-Dublin game yesterday, I feel Kerry bullied Dublin to a certain degree. Um, But then Monaghan said, OK, we're not going to be bullied, but then they went about it in a ridiculous way. You know, it's stuff that's very obvious, not giving the referees any... Yeah, for people
0: who wouldn't have seen it, Monaghan had two players set up, one for a punch and one for a ridiculous shoulder of, of an opponent into a the advertising hoardings. A body yeah. slam, <laughs> yeah. It's yeah a, an Ultimate Warrior style. Uh, yeah, uh, yeah, when
6: the game was really slipping away from Monaghan, you know, they definitely didn't need to go down to 13 men um, and effectively that killed the game then. But... I don't know what it is, on. I don't know, you know, it certainly seemed to me that managers made a decision, a lot of guys made a decision yesterday, that okay, we're going to go to certain places and we're going to, this is what we're going to do, we're going to set our stall out, we're going to man up to a certain degree, um, because there was a lot of it, um, even in Tyrone, Derry on Saturday, there was a good bit of it as well, um, the conditions didn't help, you know, um, and probably... I would say some of the refereeing decisions were a bit off. But at the same time, there was a lot of physicality.
0: It's interesting to say that the managers might have been behind it. I, I had just assumed watching it that it would be a player-driven thing, O'Sheen, in part because they feel they can, it doesn't really matter to some of them if they get suspended during the league. It certainly doesn't matter to the same extent as it would in the middle of July.
7: Yeah, there was a lot of petulance floating about yeah. I, I thought the Monaghan game was slightly different to the Kerry Dublin game I thought the Kerry Dublin game in many ways was manly enough I thought both teams sort of stood Mm -hmm. up to each other in many ways and weren't going to take a backward step the Monaghan thing was like a team that were under severe pressure that they sort of uh, they had a chat over the break and they sort of signaled this game out as we need to win this if we're going to maintain division one so we're going to push for a a semi-final uh, spot so they were like a team that were under real pressure the other pressure they are under is that when they go when they go into the bench at all, they're starting to struggle. Mm. And that's fine in Division 2, you'll get away with it, but in Division 1 you won't get away with it. But even in the
0: Dublin game, for example, Michael Fitzsimons gets gets sent off, and as we said earlier, he's probably Dublin's most mannerly defender, not a guy who gets involved in nasty stuff particularly, he gets sent off for a stupid barge towards the end, and Jim Gavin shakes his hand on the way off. I don't know what you're your policy is on that if a player gets sent off it always strikes me not just in Gaelic football in, in soccer you see it happening I always think it's a weird thing because you've actually let your team down there yeah. you've done something really stupid and the the manager's immediately
7: saying that's fine because he's shaking your hand Yeah I think Jim Gavin and he sort of said it after the game part of that I think was the fact that I think he thought the referee made the wrong call and he maybe made a lot of wrong calls and maybe Jim Gavin was trying to prove that point by supporting his player but um it does. It's not a very good visual, though. Not really. No. And, and
4: you know, it's he can have. Uh, he could probably have had problems with a lot of the decisions about yesterday, Jim Gavin. <coughs> but Simons did something where, if when you do that, if the referee sends you off, you, you've given him. You've given the referee yeah. every excuse to send you off there. Particularly in the last couple of minutes, when you know it. That was the. It was the tipping point for for a bit of a clear out afterwards. You know, you're giving the referee every chance to send you off there. Shaking his hand is just—it's a—it's a weird thing. And it, yeah. Maybe managers feel like they should show support for their player or something like that. But I think so, yeah.
6: But and, and Simon, like it was—the it, the actual incident was dying down, and for yeah. ran a good distance away, you know. And and, and it was—he uh, obviously saw Fionn Fitzgerald doing something, where he couldn't really pick it up on camera, and he and he kind of reacted because I don't think he's that type of player. But definitely, I think the petulance thing was 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 rife this weekend. Um, is there an element of settling a score from a? from the previous year I
4: mean I think that that, that that there is an element of that or there has been certainly I that think,
7: I think Dublin genuinely fancied going down there yesterday and turning Kerry over quite comfortably and mm. when it turned out not to be the case that's sort of when the petulance started you know when Dublin were going nicely early on they were let, let play a football for the first 15 minutes but when Kerry started to clamp them down and put pressure on them that's when we seen some of that petulance, and that's when we've seen some of the uh, you know even you know, from a, from a Dublin point of view, getting players back and still pulling players down in, in you know in pr- pretty simple positions. When I say simple positions, for uh, Brian, Brian Sheehan, Sheehan, anything inside yeah. seventy yards, yeah. sort of <laughs> the red zone, as Brian <laughs> Gene calls it. He's yeah. all
4: the 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 opponent uh, uh, the opponent's half. So the red zone. You're not is sure, sure that it's
0: a score settling exercise, as Murph suggests. No,
6: it could be. It could be absolutely. Yeah. Um, it just. It just. Like if you take if you take each game on its own, there's there's obviously certain things going on within the games, and there's certain different teams matching up for hopefully maybe later on in the championship they're setting scores from last year. I disagree slightly with your point. I think if you get sent off now, you're 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 like if you get suspended now, you're you're under serious pressure. So At the
0: point I made that it's a better time to get sent
6: off this time of the year. Yeah, it's not. You know, like it's if off? you want to sort someone out and do something, you do it in the last two games you do it before the break you know you give yourself a bit more because really Or in the Oberyn Cup <laughs> Yeah the <we're> Auburn <laughs> yeah. Cup is ideal for it yeah. <laughs> but uh, don't don't try to do it now because you you, you most likely get a month uh, or a couple of games and then as I say you're under pressure you know for, for your for, place for a championship yeah, yeah, for yeah your bar if you're team. you know the main man the but going players. back to the Dublin Kerry, I think Dublin if you look at the Dublin team yesterday that finished like Dublin would have been a lot stronger on paper yesterday, a lot stronger. Like the forwards, you know, you'd Bernard Brogan to finish, Paddy Andrews, Kevin McMenamin, D- D- Dean Rocket come off, but uh, Kilkenny, um you know, so a lot of names there up against a pretty inexperienced Kerry team, who I just thought were absolutely unbelievable for twenty twenty five minutes, unbelievable. Like I mean, the the new corner back Kilkenny mm, um, so. was absolutely was serious. Fiomphe Charles had an unbelievable game. The number the Sherwood. six was, was fantastic. Like, And what it means to me about Kerry is they bring these lads in and they literally look like they've been playing this is their 60th championship yeah. match. They just settle in and they've... Like, he came out three or four times. Sher- Sherlock isn't it? Sherwood. Sherwood, Sherwood, yeah. Sorry, he came out three or four times with players around him and just got his head up and dinked little passes out over it. like just lovely. Like instead of you know a guy under pressure, his first game you think he come out and just kind of but just their, their ability just to do that seamlessly is, is fantastic. Yeah, he
7: come on against uh, Mayo in the in the in the replay game in Limerick as well and looked pretty comfortable that day too. Um, but me <laughs> how, how perceptions change because my perception was that Dublin held all the years as far as the league's concerned they'll probably win the league that doesn't mean I think they will probably win the rest of the games now they'll probably put a lot of effort into winning the rest of the games and may well win the league but Kerry will be very, very happy with the fact that they have four points and they've done damn all in order to get them just yet Anthony mentioned some of the, the players who
0: Dublin did have some of the big names but the one they didn't was Stephen Cluxton. who I, mean, we've, I think everybody knows this anyway but it's driven home when he's not there how important he is to the team
7: Yeah and <coughs> there was seen, doesn't seem to be a plan kick-outs they seem to be trying to yeah, get get a lot of short kickouts? outs yeah, It was when, as though Stephen was, was still there yeah. but uh, they were playing the same weren't idea that, but they couldn't execute it Absolutely he couldn't execute it and uh, in fairness to, to, to the ladders and goals, it's going to take him a while, you know, and all that. Time. Plus the fact that everything he does is being judged on, yeah. you know, what Stephen Cluxton has done previously, where Stephen Cluxton would kick that ball. Um, it's going to take him a little bit yeah, of time. Maybe
4: even the players are are thinking right. The Cluxton's level of production is is what we're going to get here. So the five yeah. yard runs that they have to make, every other every other uh, county team have to make twenty five yard runs to get into the position that, that, that Clubs yeah. can put the ball into. Yeah. Uh, and maybe there is an element of that as well, that they just have to recalibrate recal- themselves to someone else wearing the number one and jersey in The other
7: element is that Kerry put them under serious pressure. Absolutely. Not just from kick-outs, but every time Dublin defensively got the ball. Uh, Kerry, one thing about them, defensively Kerry's still well-organised, but... They're putting pressure on the ball high up the pitch. They're good on that even when Gluckson is there. They're actually
0: quite smart in how they defend. Of all the teams
7: that that, that Dublin have come up against, yeah. But the other thing is that whenever Dublin were forced to kick the ball out into the middle of the field... uh, they didn't they, no. they couldn't win.
6: you've more in there so like I mean obviously they said don't kick long <laughs> because Dublin didn't, like they'd know Macaulay you know uh, Carty was kind of coming in from 12 to try and win some kickouts long but you know they ended up with Keno O'Sullivan Basic went off or got black carded so they ended up with, with Keane O'Sullivan and um I can't remember who was in midfield with him. But anyway, they, 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 they tried to avoid that midfield contest. But Kerry did it very well. I have to say, a number of years ago, I think me did it very well in one yeah. of the games in Leicester, sure. where, they, where they just zoned space. They put two big men outside and said, OK, you can kick it long if you want. But we're going to just pick up areas, and you could see it yesterday. Kerry just did that. Now they put a lot of pressure on the the very short kick out, so they man they went man to man there with Donahey kind of going left and right. Um, so when he had to go and go over that, they had men in those areas, and they really they put massive pressure. And even if Cluxton was there, okay, he is yes more accurate and he's more confident with his kicks, but um, you 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 take that armory from Dublin, like we we've, we've spoken before about their midfield. Now the midfield pairing of Kerry is obviously one of the best in the country. You know, two big men who can play. Um, you've Sheehan there. Dublin were without Flynn as well, who's a go to man for Cluxon an awful lot. You know, he does this unbelievable work left and right, and, and he picks them out, of do many times in the game. So, uh, Dublin, even though they had a lot of names. Uh, I'd say Dean Rock would be disappointed. He probably would have wanted a big game yesterday. That's a big game for you, to go to Kerry. They're the kind of games that you're you're measured on for a championship, you know.
0: Kieran Donaghy, Murph, uh, Captain Kerry for the first time after Austin Stack's run in the All-Ireland series. You've got a theory on Donaghy this year?
6: Oh yeah,
4: well, I mean, it's obviously such a huge thing. Um, like Absolutely massive... Uh, uh, honor, honor for him to to be the Kerry captain. It was a huge thing for him after Stax had won the Kerry County final that he knew that he had every chance of then being the Kerry captain. Two weeks after they lose a semi final that you know they would definitely have thought that they were going to win, mm. uh, he's out there. He's putting massive pressure on himself. He says, "I've you know I've." He's basically saying, "I've already missed too much of this year of me being Kerry captain. It's like two games in the league, you know." Mm. And he's he's putting pressure on himself to not miss another minute of football for Kerry this year. He was. it was his birthday yesterday 32 years old it's an awful long way between now and September for him to be saying I can't miss another minute having been on the sidelines last year or other. he's heaping so much pressure on himself you know the captaincy is a big deal sure but it's not a big deal in at the start of March in a National League game I wouldn't have thought
7: I would agree, I would agree with that And the thing is that that's where Eamon Fitzmaurice comes in Eamon Fitzmaurice has to come in and manage him now and decide when he plays and when he doesn't play and it's it's fine in one way and because even if he plays during the league he's gonna get a couple of months off because they all they're gonna have to do is play in the monster final mm. and they're gonna be playing in Crow Park anyway. So, you know, it's not the I I don't think that his his body's gonna suffer as a result of it. And to be honest, the more football he's played, the better he's looked. And he hadn't played a lot of football last year, so he's probably hung still hungry for it, very hungry for it. I know he played a lot of club football and stuff like that there, but uh the club football that he's played has helped him and when he's come in he's looked very comfortable and Kerry may may use him a little bit like Donegal used Murphy last year they may use him a little bit more around the middle of the field but did they really have to? I mean you've got Maher, Moore, and Buckley, Tommy Walsh Tommy Walsh
4: wherever he lines up mm. yeah
7: so <clears throat> you know they will he'll probably mix it up a little bit with Donaghy maybe and that might keep him keep him fresh but that's up to Eamons with Fitzmaurice and Evans Morris has proved himself to be one of the well Probably the top manager at the minute, and it's up to him how he manages him, and he's not going to play him every game. Well, he had the, he made the impact he made last year
0: on the back of no football, yeah. which mm. was really impressive. And nobody's suggesting that that's the ideal way to go into a championship semi-final. But what do you think of Murph's theory there, Anthony? That this that Donny has to be saved from himself a little bit. He has had a lot of injuries.
6: Well, I'd say Murph's point is is, is, is more kind of psychological in in his own head. The pressure he's putting himself under. Like when yeah. you get a captaincy role, some fellows take it very very well, and especially. Especially the way it's done in Kerry, you get it to be based on your club team, yeah. you know. So some guys, the captaincy is put on them, and they're not even starting a team, right? Or starting on the on the on the on the fifteen. Um, so it may not necessarily go to the right man or the proper man, shall we say. I'm not saying Donny's not, mm. but a guy who maybe he just can't handle it. Because some fellas feel when they're captain, a guy who's quiet, oh, I need to talk now, mm. I need to speak. You know, so he's, he's nearly more worried about what he has to say to players and what he has to do rather than just going out and playing his game and being a leader on the field. And that's... as. Ush says that's where it comes down to a manager to say, "Listen, you don't need to do that. You know, maybe a vice captain can do that, or someone else within the squad." But yeah. um, well, Don, Donny in particular,
0: Donny already does all that. Uh, but by, yeah. by all accounts, so what he the last thing he needs to do is start thinking, to
6: have to gee the lads up even more. Exactly. Yeah, and, and I agree with Murph there. Like, I think he just needs to say, "I'm just going to go," and I can see his passion and his desire to play because he's probably saying, "I'm 32." The last couple of years weren't great. He was nearly finished last year. He probably questioned himself, of which he said a lot last year. And now all of a sudden he's in. He's he's got a re-energized, and he, and he wants to just play. And we know, like when you start hitting the old three in front of the, the, the <laughs> number, you start to say, "I just want to play every game. You don't want to be sitting on the bench, regardless if it's tactical or not." Um, they use them very. Badly yesterday at the start, trying to kick these diagonal balls, which he was running out to the sideline with, you know, and Rory O'Carroll was able to shepherd him out. But when you actually He's, he's an unbelievable foil you know because Kerry can play it intricate or then they can just look up and pop it back and is so strong like he's just unbelievable like Royal Carroll is no small man and he's, and he's physically very strong quick and he, the two of them were battling and they were able to just hold each other off but his little flick I don't know if you saw one of the scores where he got it and McCaffrey came to him as well and he just palmed it down to I think O'Brien and he popped it yeah, over the bar like that's that's just him and when you have that in your armoury and like, I mean if you've Tommy Walsh or something like that playing mm-hmm. off him that's scary.
0: All right, Anthony, and uh, no shame. Brilliant stuff. Thanks a million.
6: Cheers. Dan.
7: Thanks a lot.
1: Modern day coaching. What is it all about? Paralysis by analysis. Infiltrated by a load of spoofers and bluffers. Fellas with earpieces stuck in their ears. Psychologists,
3: Clive Woodward, statisticians, dietitians. And as Mick O'Connell alluded to, God save us.
0: On the issue of red and black cards and all that, Murph, the big news from Congress. But there's not, there wasn't really any news from Congress. I, mm. I saw Marty Morrissey on League Sunday yesterday describing it in his report as a dull and uneventful <laughs> GA Congress. <laughs>
4: and, you know, Marty would give him a fair shake if, if at all if the, possible. If the hype yeah. was there
0: to be made, Marty would certainly yeah. jazz it up a little bit, but there was nothing much to say about it, except that there's no cynicism in Hurling. No, no need for no, a black card, no. no need for anything. Just steady as she goes.
4: Unbelievable. Like, that, 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 that even the thought that there would be what some would term a cynical foul in hurling. I mean, I'm sure if a cynical foul does happen in 2015 in hurling, there will be widespread wailing and gnashing of teeth that it should come to this that a that a hurling defender would knowingly, with a forethought, pull down an opposition forward yeah. to prevent him from a goal score. I mean, if that happens in 2015, I think they'll look back on this Congress and talk of it. it won't happen as a yeah. really well, of course not. What are you? Are you mad?
7: Yeah.
0: I. I you it's a it's a manly sport, but it's a, it's
7: a manly, manly. Although there are a lot of
2: there are, uh, regrettably, a lot of these days young uh, gales involved in the in in the hurling and so on, oftentimes come to it from a soccer playing background.
0: That's that's the only concern. Um, and, and more sporting mashups, Ken. So mm. You're all about them
2: even even Kevin Moran. Uh, you know, once he he made the the dread crossover, uh, ultimately. Uh, Ultimately, didn't he bring someone down in the FA Cup final? Just they were they were racing through and goal. I don't believe that he would have done that in the um, blue and blue of Dublin. (laughs) Blue navy is there navy
0: Navy and blue? You can go.
2: Yeah, whatever. Uh,
4: But I mean, there was even a a motion in front of Congress uh, this uh, this or last weekend, Ken, that if a player got two yellow cards in hurling, that they would be that that was too much of a punishment. To uh, so so get sent
0: off, get your marching orders. Yeah, it's too much.
4: So the, if a player got two yellow cards and a subsequent red, that they would be able to bring on a substitute because they felt that it was that there was too. That much, didn't come in though. That, that, th- that was, that, was uh, that that did fail, um, but I mean it's, it's just it's crazy that, that I mean they're going to have to deal with it at some stage because the amount of times it happens that a corner forward takes on a defender and is just just gets pulled down and that's that in hurling it's every bit as bad as it is in football. I mean. It's, it, there, there are just better, other better parts of the, There are more brilliant parts of hurling to overshadow the cynical defending. In Gaelic football, it doesn't quite have that. So we're, we talk about cynical defending. But
0: We've got an Irish Times second captain's football podcast to complete.
3: Yeah.
0: <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well,
3: yeah, you can laugh. At the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You well, don't know
5: what you're talking
7: about. What well, yeah. if you most know, likely stay alive for something. I've got a need. I'd say it's you, face, I'll say it to, you, I'm well, it to now. Mean, I'm down Swanfield and we'll see them all with what you're doing down here, you show me man.
2: Well we'll talk a bit more on about that game yesterday that we mentioned the against Manchester City. Some interesting matches up the weekend. Obviously, Jose Mourinho winning his first trophy for 914 days. Um the endlessly fascinating Jose Mourinho. I say endlessly fascinating because I mean the opposite. Um, I've seen him recently and I'm thinking, so I was watching him on Friday, droning on about something on, he was droning on, about, I can't even remember what it was, you know, but it was just this bored and boring monotone about, oh, you know, and he was kind of reading off the usual, I mean, lies is maybe harsh, but you know, the usual sort of distortions of the truth, but it was, there wasn't, wasn't even anything vaguely annoying or provocative about it. It was just sort of jaded and and uh miserable sounding. And I thought, oh come on. Has he come has he lost all of his if he's lost his he to,
0: to provoke, then he's lost. He's a lot not of,
2: even he seems like he's, he basically. can't even quite be bothered to do that anymore. Um we'll talk a bit about him and we're we're also going to talk about more about the Qatar World Cup. Um some kind of follow up to what we were talking about on Thursday, the news that it's going to be in the winter and um Oh yeah. Really more about why why this thing is still going ahead with uh, with James Montague, someone who's been out there a good bit and has a better understanding of the country, I guess, than we do.
0: Last piece of news I want to wrap up from the weekend, Murph, is Carl Frampton's win on Saturday night against uh against Chris Avalos was his uh, Yeah, and if,
4: one? if it's on terrestrial television, I think this might have been many people's first look at Carl Frampton and yeah, I mean, you can believe the hype that he is as good as he is, because he's Brilliant, and was brilliant on Saturday. Uh, and it it was just, it, it really struck me that within, I would say, four minutes of having uh, stopped Avalos, he's in the ring with Barry McGuigan on one side and Scott Quigg, the British pretender to the to his world title, basically negotiating his next fight. <laughs> and boxing is such a strange television spectacle. Um this often happens that the the, the challenger, a guy who wants to fight the champ, is in the ring or is ringside. And they were interviewed
0: together. Yeah,
4: and it, it interviewed together. And Frampton is kind of saying, "Well, you know, listen, I'll fight anywhere. It doesn't matter. I mean, I've I've got home advantage here, but I'll fight anywhere." And I didn't even think he had to say that. I mean, Quigg is the guy who's got to come and challenge uh, Frampton. But uh, to the fact did not seem particularly intimidated by Scott Craig would be an understatement. But it I is. Think.
0: It's funny that what you say there about you finish up this fight. Now, it wasn't a particularly grueling fight as they go because mm. he dominated it and he finished it in the fifth round. But you're expected then, the unwritten rules of boxing are that you're expected to immediately dust yourself down and be ready to be very coherent and very eloquent in hyping up your next fight mm. and your next defence. Like this it's a huge the,
4: ask. The, like the hard sell starts <laughs> the second you knocked out your, your current opponent.
0: All right, well, well done to Carl Frampton on that one. You can check out all our, uh, all our news and secondcaptains.com. Follow us on Twitter at captains. Thanks very much, Murph. Thank you, Owen, and thank you, Ken. Thank you, Kieran, and thank you, Owen. Thanks, Ken. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you during the football podcast. Take care. That's the second time it's gone off. They never go home. They never go home. They never go home. Those 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 boys.